0: If you own a landscaping or lawn care business and you're looking to take it to the next level, you should check out Jobber's Masters of Home Service podcast. This isn't just another industry show. It's packed full of actual growth strategies and wisdom tailored for the home service world. Are you looking to break that million dollar mark? Eager to transform your customer experience? Want to keep your staff engaged? Or even looking to introduce AI into your business operations? Masters of Home Service has you covered. You're going to dive into episodes that cover marketing, hiring, sales, operations, mental preparedness, branding, and so much more. Each episode is a masterclass in business growth featuring real service business owners who turn challenges into huge successes. This podcast is more than just listening. It's about learning from each other and leveling up with real practical advice. Check out Jobber's Masters of Home Service podcast and join a community that's all about elevating and growing together in this world of home services. They release new episodes every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends over at Cycle CPA. I can't even express to you how important it is to have a good accountant on your side. You know, you want accurate bookkeeping and financial statements every month. Instead, you're often left with limited time to focus on the accounting side of your business and no reports to show for it. At Cycle CPA, the landscaping accountants, they not only handle the bookkeeping, but also provide landscape industry benchmarking, job costing, financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA has a team of landscaping accountants available to provide anything from bookkeeping to CFO services. Visit cyclecpa.com and for $100 off, mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. Now, recently, we've been talking a lot about marketing and different things you can do to help get your business found online or, you know, get found by additional customers. And today, I'm very excited to bring on a returning guest. Today, we have Carl Sorsen of Sites for Contractors. Uh, Carl has been working with contractors since 2008, guys. 2008, that's a long time. So he has a ton of knowledge, ton of experience behind him. And I'm so excited to bring him on here today because we are going to continue this conversation about marketing and more particular about websites and, and the good and the bad with websites. So welcome, Carl. Thanks for being on here today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Scott. Glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Real quick, you mind just sharing a little bit more about yourself and how you got started in the industry and you know your background in landscaping and everything?
1: Sure. So I started internet marketing in 2003. I had a separate company that I was doing lead generation stuff for. And then in 2008, I bought my first home and it was away from the city that I lived in and I had to find contractors to do work on the new home. And it was at that point that I realized that the contractor market was pretty underserved. These guys had terrible websites. They were hard to find. Their services weren't clear. Their service areas weren't clear. And I thought that I would probably be able to help them. So Sites for Contractors was kind of born that way. I got started in the landscaping side of things in 2015 because I'd been working on contractor sites for quite a while, and I had a couple of friends in my hometown that wanted to start a landscaping company, and they said, hey, you know, you have all this experience marketing for contractors. Would you like to partner up with us? And I thought, sure, what could go wrong? And so I joined up, handled all the marketing. The company was two and a half hours away from where I'm located, so I did spend quite a bit of time on site working with customers working on projects. And that just was taking a toll on my main business. So in 2019, I sold my shares. The company still runs today. They've kind of got their little niche that they're in. I handle some of their marketing still. And from there, I got a good handle on lawn care, landscaping, landscape maintenance, installation side of things. And that's when I started to really focus on that segment of customers, just because I knew and understood that type of business a lot better.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And it, I know you've helped many of our people that have gone through our programs as well, and they've had tremendous results. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to do all that. And that is a huge thing, I think, you having the background in the industry to know exactly what the customers are looking for, what the landscapers need. And that, to me, like, helps set you apart from all the other people out there. It gives me a bit of an
1: edge knowing and understanding some of these things. Like There's some services I help clients with that, that we didn't do. We focused primarily on high-end maintenance. So we live on an island, and a lot of our clients were absentee homeowners that had waterfront properties, and we're talking like multi-million dollar properties, where they may not live there year-round. They're only coming out for a weekend here and there, spending the summer. Yet they wanted the property to look good the whole time, and they wanted somebody they
0: could trust to maintain it. So that's kind of the market segment that we really honed in on. Awesome. So today, like I said, we wanted to kind of dive into a little bit more on websites And before I dive into that, I want to share with everybody that Carl is actually going to be coming into our program here, uh, I think it's the 18th, and he's going to be doing a review of websites. So he's looking through people that are are in our programs, through the Millionaire Landscape programs, and diving into the website, sharing with them what's good, what's not good. So if you guys are interested in that, get signed up today to either Profits Up or the Inner Circle, and maybe you can get a chance to get in there and get reviewed by Carl. Again, thank you for that, Carl. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. No problem. So with the websites what is something that really differentiates a good website from a bad website you know there's all those out there what's the main difference between them
1: the main difference between a good website and a bad website would be well there's a lot the number one thing i would say is messaging there's a lot of contractors out there not just in landscaping any contracting field where their website and their messaging says the same thing that every other contractor in their area says. So there's no way to differentiate yourself from your competition. And these are things like, we're experienced. We do things on time. We do things on budget. We'll work within your budget. These are things that everybody says. So your customers are expecting that. And it's not something that is going to directly separate you from anybody else. Now, landscaping is a very visual business, right? It's not like a a plumber or an electrician where everything you do is hidden behind a wall. Everything you do is on the front end. People see it. So one of the ways to differentiate yourself on your website is you have to have good branding. You have to have fantastic pictures of your work. And by pictures, I mean not just pictures of finished projects, but before and after pictures. So you need to show people what you've actually done on a property. And in many cases, it's just a picture even before and after. That's not enough to differentiate you. So we want to get into actually posting project showcases or case studies so we can tell a little bit more of a story about some of these projects because people can certainly see what you did with the before and after, but they get much more understanding of the scope and scale of the project when you tell them a story about it, tell them what you had to do, specific challenges you overcome, specific materials that were used, maybe what the customer was looking for, what they wanted, how their landscape applied to their lifestyle, that type of thing. And that allows you to just speak more clearly to the target customers that you want to resonate with.
0: Yeah, I think that that is exactly it. When people can feel that, they can see that in their head exactly how they can relate to that beautiful Heartscape patio or why you need this or that. I think that that says a lot. And I, that's one of the things, when you told me that many years ago, I, like something just clicked, I'm like, that's genius. That's, that's exactly right. It's people, it's like you said, it's a very visual business. We actually just did a podcast on the photos itself that came out last week and this is something that i see people do like terrible like i was looking at some guy's website the other day and they took a picture and i believe it was a picture of like a backdrop They trim shrubs however on the lawn side that you could see there's grass clippings there's grass clippings on the sidewalk terrible <laughs> yeah and i'm asked about it. he's like well i didn't mow that i'm like but the customers don't know that and he's like oh you're right and i'm like you have to think about this you have to look at the overall picture from the eyes of the customer and i think like you said, it's very visual, having the stories that, that it is awesome.
1: Pictures are actually a good thing that we could talk about briefly. So that's one of the things I ask my customers for on a monthly basis. There's really only two things. One is reviews, which we can talk about separately, but the other is pictures. And I need that raw material. And when I get pictures that are at a, at a weird angle, or they've taken them and there's like a sun dog in the picture or their fingers on the camera. Or like you say, there's grass clippings or there's garbage or there's tools or there's a guy working with his shirt off or there's another guy smoking like those types of things completely detract from the message that you're trying to convey with the picture. There's a reason why we have professional photographers because they're good at this stuff. But I understand that not every project, not every contractor has the money within that project to spend on a professional photographer. But if you're doing higher end work, do not hesitate to hire a professional to come out document the job for you, and they will coach you on this stuff and say, hey, look, can you move that skid steer? Hey, can you move these shovels? Can you clear this driveway? Can you blow this out? And they'll make sure that the pictures are staged in such a way that it actually looks really nice. So when I get these pictures that are, you know, they're cocked off to the left or the angle is all weird, that takes a lot of time for us to to edit that stuff and fix it as well.
0: Yeah. The one thing you mentioned there was staging. That's something I learned a long time ago from a mentor of mine was to have it staged and like if you can incorporate the homeowner and their family out there like enjoying the fire pit or enjoying a meal somewhere and you pay for it or whatever that goes a long way again it goes like how you mentioned the case study people can relate to that and feel like oh i want my family being out there enjoying the fire pit or i want them doing this or that again that says a lot about you and that's what helps distinguish you from the other competitors i think
1: absolutely and another thing too is is if you're going to have guys in the picture you're going to have equipment in the picture trucks trailers that type of thing make sure that it has your company decals or branding on it. Make sure the guys are wearing a company shirt. You know, if you just did a front lawn or front garden, front entry makeover for a property, have the truck and trailer parked out front and have the logo kind of off in the corner of the picture. And that way you're getting your branding in the photo and, and branded photos. They make you look a lot more professional. And the second thing is people can't borrow or steal those photos from you because it has your branding in them.
0: That's true. I've I've had a a local competitor steal a picture of a or not steal a picture, but they took a picture of a waterfall that we built and used it on their website. So if you can have, have your branding on there, it's it's that definitely helps. One thing I wanted to ask you too is, you know, we've been talking about marketing a lot in, in the landscape business owners Facebook group. And I see people say that, you know, the website's not that important. It's, you know, not a big deal. You need to focus on quality work. What's your thoughts on that?
1: There's a few schools of thought on that. So if you are a company that's been around for 30, 40, 50 years, you know what? You probably don't need a website. Something simple, you know, just a a simple brochure site will be fine because your network is so huge that you've got work coming at you from all angles. It doesn't matter. But if you're a newer company, um, let's say, you know, 15, 10, 5 years old, and you're trying to differentiate yourself from competitors, you have to have one. And everybody that's doing searches, actively searching for a company nowadays They're going to your Google My Business and then from there, they're going to go to your website if they don't find you in search or if you have a YouTube channel, you're linking to your site or from Facebook, you're linking to your site. So there's lots of different ways that they can get to the website. But that should be your, I don't want to say your sole marketing piece, but that should be your core marketing piece. That's where all of the traffic that you get, all of the advertising that you do, you want to be driving people to the website and you want to do that for a few different reasons. One, it's working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year doesn't matter if someone's looking for the information on what you do at two in the morning or eight in the morning. They can find it. They can do the research that they need to do. The second thing is that's what differentiates you from everybody else. What you say on that site and what you show on that site, that's your marketing. That's how you're speaking to the customer. So if you don't have a web presence and you're competing with companies that have invested a good deal of time and effort and money into their web presence, you don't look like as an attractive option as some of the people that you're competing with. So if you're trying to go after higher tier clients, higher dollar jobs, or specific types of projects and jobs. You, you, you need a website.
0: I I agree with that. To me, it's part of that like pre-qualification process that you need to do with the customers to see even if you provide that service. So having exactly what you do on there, to me, is very important. Now, going back to like the websites itself, what are like some of the key components, the key elements that you think pretty much every landscaper or, or every landscape website should have on there?
1: key elements. Um, So this would fall down into more of like a strategy for a landscaper's website. So, and we've talked about this before, you want to have a clear organization structure of the site. So so people have to be able to find what service they want from you. So one of the most common mistakes we see landscapers make is they'll create a services page on the website and they'll try and throw everything they do on a single page. That does a couple things negatively for you. So one, It makes it hard for Google to categorize you because you don't have any in-depth information on a particular topic. And the second thing is your messaging is not correct. So if you do hardscaping, then you could do a number of different services. You might do retaining walls, you might do patios, you might do outdoor kitchens, you might do fire pits, you might do pool area landscaping. And every single one of those customers is a different customer. So yes, they all want hardscaping, But the person that wants a retaining wall is somebody that needs to hold back a slope or they need to carve out some new area that they can landscape or they need to create a fix for some erosion problems or some drainage issues. Somebody that wants an outdoor patio, well, they have completely different wants and needs as well. You know, they might want to enjoy time outdoors with their family. They might want an outdoor cooking area. They might want to have a landscaped area around their pool. So the messaging that is required for these people, it's not generic. It's not one size fits all. They all have different Wants, needs, and concerns. And then they have an underlying driver for why they really want to do that particular project. You know, I, my son was talking to me the other night about, well, how do you understand like marketing and how do you understand how to sell and do these things? And I, I asked him a simple question. It was like, if you were in a hardware store and somebody came into that hardware store and they wanted to buy a drill, what do they want? And he looked at me and he said, well, they want a drill. And I said, no, they want a hole. So, The same applies to landscaping. You have to think about what the driver is from that customer. Like, Why do they wanna have this project done? And that's the messaging that goes on your site. And if you've been in the field for any length of time, five, 10 years or more, you've dealt with all of these customers. You can probably put them into separate buckets and say, okay, this guy falls in this bucket, this guy falls in this bucket. They tell you what their wants and needs are. So this is stuff that should be mentioned on the site to help differentiate you from competitors and not only that, but elevate you above competitors because your messaging is much more clear and it's much more
0: direct to that customer. What about the word? Is that that's something too, like having copy on there that's relatable? And, and what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and copy is important. That falls into the messaging. Not everybody is a great writer, so that can create problems. However, we're in the AI phase now. We have AI. And this AI can write this stuff for you, but AI is also, it's a dangerous tool if you don't know how to use it and don't take the time. And I I see this a lot right now with contractors where there's a lot of web developers that are using AI, but they're not using it very well. So for example, they might say something like, create a page about retaining walls. AI will do that with that simple prompt. But the problem is, is that the messaging that it creates, it's not gonna be what you think it is. AI, it's like a child. You have to coach it and coax it along give it the correct prompt so it takes me just as long if not longer to use ai to create content but the content can be much more detailed and it can have that creative writing flair i guess you could call it that makes the content more relatable to any particular audience super powerful tool for people that aren't really great writers just have to to spend the time to use it correctly
0: yeah the other thing i I would think is you know the difference between you know just a general landscaper who knows the landscaping side of thing and like someone like yourself that's been doing websites and building websites for many many years you know some of the key words or key things that a customer is looking for typically for you know whatever service or product that you're trying to offer and i think that to me is one of the key things and it, again like you said going to ai ai is just doing a general thing where you have somebody like yourself that's been doing it and can word it in a certain way that Encourage the person to call you or do, do whatever your call to action is. Is that right? Correct.
1: Again, the messaging. And w- when we look at a lot of contractor sites, they say very, very basic stuff like, hey, we're XYZ company. We serve this city and we do these five things and we do things on budget and we do things on time and we're experienced and it just goes on and on and on. And then the person can see that they can go to the next website, one of your competitors, and they're going to read the exact same thing. It's by touching on those customers' needs, their pain points, their wants, their desires, their confusion, their questions. There's a lot of things that go into the buying process that any landscaper can sit there on site with a client and talk to them endlessly and sell. They're really great at selling, but the problem is is they're not great at translating that into words on a website. So I find that people will stare at their site and they'll want to write content for it and they just draw a blank. They don't know what to say. AI can be helpful for that, but also having the experience and doing this over and over and over and over and over again, yes, that's allowed me to have a little bit of an edge in that department.
0: Is there anything else that you can think of that we need on landscape websites? Well, pictures, we talked about
1: that. So you guys are in a visual business. You know, your copy, your your ad writing is what's going to help set you apart. And also that content helps get you found. But then ultimately, we have to build trust and credibility with people. And trust and credibility with the landscaper is pictures. Show them your work. Show them what you've done. And when I talk about pictures, it's fine to have pictures of your finished work. But if that's all you're showing, people don't really understand the change that you made in somebody's property. That's why I am ai really push my clients to get before and after photos. That's the most important type of picture that you can possibly get to put on your website. And they do a lot of selling for you. And when you actually go to a customer's property and you are speaking with them, having a portfolio of before and after pictures that you can show them on your website, whether you have a tablet on your job or a mobile phone, whatever, that's a huge selling tool for a client.
0: Yeah, I, I love that because just my experience going out talking to customers, they they can't always see what you can see. They don't have an idea of that. And when you can pull up those pictures, like you said, that's a game changer sometimes it just sells the project right then and there.
1: Well, it shows them a number of different things. It shows them that there's a dramatic change in the property and they want that. It shows them that you know what you're doing so that the quality of work is there. And I think that that's important for building trust and credibility. And the other thing for building trust and credibility is, is reviews. You know, it's, it's a double edged sword. I hear lots of people say, Oh, I hate Google reviews. I hate Facebook reviews. You know, I've gotten bad reviews for customers. I've never even worked for and blah, blah. Yeah, I understand that. That's part of the game, but having a good review base, this is what customers that do not know you are judging you by so even if you have a great website you're getting found in google let's say you're showing up in, in google maps you have five reviews and you're competing with another competitor that has 50 reviews and another guy that has 65 they aren't even looking at you they don't even look at you seriously because their peers are recommending these other companies over you at a vastly more exponential rate right so they don't even think of you as a serious contender. And the only way they'll call you is if the guy that has 65 reviews and the guy that has 50 reviews don't answer their phones.
0: Do you feel uh, the testimonials? I know you, know you can find them on Google Business Profile, but should you have some of those on your website as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, And there's a few different advantages to that. So we pull reviews from Google via what's called an API. So we can pull your Google reviews into your website. And then we mark them up with what's called aggregate review schema. So this doesn't work for every site, but at least it gives Google the information that it needs. So when someone does a search in your area for a particular service or product with aggregate review schema, your star rating can actually show up next to your SERP result. So in SERP would be search engine results page. So this is where you actually show up on a search page and that can make your listing stand out a lot more. Now, It's also good to have the reviews on there just for the trust and credibility factor. But there's another stage to this. So as you start to build up a lot of reviews, you want to have your customers mentioning the particular services that you provided for them in the review. This is part of Google's algorithm. It's something that they look at is keywords in a review. So if you're at the point where you have uh, dozens of reviews, let's say you have 50, for simple math, and you have 10 of those reviews that are mentioning retaining walls, Well, all of those retaining wall reviews should be pulled onto your retaining wall page because they're relevant to that specific page and they're much more relevant to those customers. So somebody that's looking for a retaining wall contractor can read all those reviews and say, wow, this guy's built a lot of retaining walls. All these people are really happy. He doesn't necessarily care about the reviews where you've installed a new lawn using sod right? It's good to have them, but it's not relevant to that particular service. So as you get more reviews, that's kind of the next step in how to organize them on a site.
0: Yeah. And then it goes back to your point, like you said, having separate pages for each of your services and that's it's, it's all relevancy. It makes it easier to do that.
1: Yeah. People make the mistake of thinking that, that someone will come to a landscaper's website and browse every single page on the site. If that's what happens, then I, I wouldn't call them a qualified customer. What we really want is someone to go to Google and they type in, retaining wall builder, XYZ city, whatever it is. Then they find that page of your website. So they go right to it. They don't have to click around or look for it. And all of the information they need to make a decision about who they're going to hire for a retaining wall builder is right on your site. So you have pictures, you have before and afters, you're explaining all the different aspects of the walls that you build. Do you replace walls that have failed? That's a big segment of the market. What materials do you use? What is hydrostatic pressure? How does it affect the wall? How does the surcharge affect the wall? Like you get into detail. And then with Google, and especially with AI now, we have the ability to create frequently asked question sections. So if you've ever done a search for a local business or a local service, Google now ranks questions and answers prominently at the top of search results. If you don't have questions and answers on a particular page, you don't have a chance of ranking in that section of Google, which is important for traffic.
0: Yeah, that's very important. I guess on that point, you know, Google is so important to have stuff, you know, on the Google business profile and and with SEO, you mind, you know, talk a little bit, you know, just even some of the basics of, of setting up Google business and SEO and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a few different tracks there. So Google, my business is, it's SEO, but it's, it's a separate facet of SEO. I guess you could say there's different search results. There's Google maps results. There's paid results. There's organic results. So Google Maps is limited to three spots right now for most businesses, and that's where your Google My Business profile comes into play. Not so much your website, it has a little part to play in it, but it's more what you have on your profile, your proximity to the searcher, your prominence, your reviews. There's a lot that plays into that. So if somebody was just starting out and they wanted to get their Google My Business profile going, first you gotta go through Google's video verification process, which pretty much everybody has to do now. So you wanna get your business verified. You want to make sure that you have clearly defined your service area. So most landscapers are operating out of their home. So you don't want to have your physical address displayed on the listing. Instead, you want to hide that address and have what's called a service area. And you can pick up to 20 cities or towns that you can list as a service area. And then a map will show up on your Google My Business listing outlining that service area. The other thing that you want to do is make sure that you have all of your services listed and your categories chosen. So Google has a number of different categories that could apply to a landscaper. You want to make sure that you have those selected, and then you can list the individual services that you provide underneath each one of those Google My Business categories. So that organization is pretty important. Just to circle back, we talked about the physical address. Other landscapers that I've worked with, they may have a yard or a shop or a a showroom, or they may have like a small nursery, something like that. In those cases where customers do come to your business, it's okay to have your address listed. Otherwise, you don't want to have it showing.
0: Yeah, you don't want people showing up at your house. and You don't need them there.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. The other parts of, of Google My Business, so we've got a clear service area defined. We have clear services defined. We can write a description of our business, which they limit you to 750 characters. AI is great for doing that. We can write you a description that'll hit 750 characters right on the dot. So the next thing would be making sure that you have your hours displayed. There is some advantage to having your business open longer than others because if someone is looking for a landscaper at seven o'clock at night and you close at four PM or five PM, then Google may show a competitor that's open till seven PM. It doesn't mean you're working till seven PM. It just means that you may answer the phone or respond to them via email up to that time. So having longer hours can definitely give you a bit of a benefit.
0: On that note, I've seen this like debate going on on facebook where you can have it show on google business that it's open 24 hours a day and their argument was well i do snow plowing but is that something that could hinder you in google's eyes if if you have it showing 24 hours a day
1: there's I, i understand what you're saying there is two schools of thought on that if you are genuinely offering 24 hour a day service then i don't see it as a problem if you are a landscaper and you do lawn maintenance well nobody's Doing lawn maintenance 24 hours a day, right? Snow plowing yeah. is different. Same, like if you were a plumber, uh, they offer 24 hour emergency service. If you're a septic pumping company, you know 24 hour emergency service, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, it, if it applies to your business, sure. And it may even be seasonal. So,
0: yeah. And I do get like, I personally get emails from Google like to update my hours, you know, especially like around the holiday seasons and stuff like that. So, yeah, that is a good time you can go in and change it. Maybe put 24 hours a day if you just offer snow
1: Yeah, absolutely. And another aspect to Google My Business and having a good solid listing is pictures. You can add pictures to Google, you can add updates, you can add posts. Being active on your Google My Business profile is is pretty important. You don't have to be on there every single day. There's companies out there that are selling software that post to your Google My Business with AI generated content every single day. I don't recommend using that type of stuff. I think it can work for a little while, but then it just becomes super repetitive. And I don't know if it's genuinely helping or not. But if you're adding original pictures of your work, you know, a couple times a week, you're uploading pictures from your phone when you're on location. There is a benefit to that because it can geotag the pictures. It helps localize you in a specific area. And then the last thing for a Google My Business profile on the profile would be reviews. That's something that you've, you've got to work at building out customer reviews. You don't want to coach your customers, but at the same time, you don't want them to just leave five stars and that's the end of it. You want them to talk a little bit about their experience working with you. You want them to mention the specific project that you did. You want them to mention the specific city or town that they're in. That is also fairly helpful. So it's tough to get this stuff from a
0: client without kind of coaching them along. But those are the reviews that are going to give you the most benefit. Do you recommend for the review side of things to mainly focus on Google reviews versus like Facebook reviews or even next door reviews or anything like that?
1: That's a good question. Um, You want the customer to leave a review on the platform that's easiest for them. So we made an app for our customers because gathering reviews is one of the biggest challenges that our customers face. Even if they do a great job for somebody and they ask them for a review, the customer will look them in the eye, shake their hand at the end of the job and tell them, yeah, I'm going to leave you a review and then crickets. So we created a a mobile app that allows our customers to just punch in their customer's name, email, and phone number. It automatically sends them a text message and an email thanking them for their business and asking them for feedback. It then links them to various review sites. So I think we integrate with right now it's Google, Facebook, HomeAdvisor, and House. So if the customer can basically choose whichever platform they want to leave the review on, and then they can leave the review that way. If you have a really strong profile with Nextdoor, for example, well, part of a strong profile is having great reviews on that profile. So I don't think that it's hurting you. But as far as priority goes, I would prioritize Google and Facebook
0: over most of the others. Okay. Yeah, I saw people asking that question. I I assumed it would be Google because that's where people are typically searching for, for your services.
1: Yes. So it's, you're definitely going to get more of an edge there. But if you're the type of contractor that's had a Nextdoor profile for a few years and you're getting lots of business through Nextdoor, then it just makes sense to continue to build out that profile as well. And sometimes the customers that you get from Nextdoor, they're the customers that are going to review you on Nextdoor. The customers that find you on Google, those are the customers that are going to review you on Google. So, uh, And you may have customers that they'll leave reviews in a few different spots.
0: That kind of leads into like my next question talking about your customers, is that something that's very important and something that you have to, for yourself in particular, to try to pull out of a landscaper, trying to figure out who their customer is? Because it, I see many people trying to serve everybody because they're just trying to make money. Is it important to kind of hone in on who your customer is, your ideal customer? Yes.
1: So <laughs> that's a good question. I work with a lot of landscapers Some of them want the same thing. So I want to get a higher end client. I want to get the client that wants to spend money. I want this type of project price level. I want to do projects that are only $50,000 plus or whatever it may be. And a lot of times there's a messaging disconnect. So you have to look at where your company is now versus where you want to go. If you're the company right now that's doing a lot of five to $10,000 projects and you want to get into the $100,000 projects, you have a disconnect because none of the pictures that you're showing on your website, none of the messaging that you show on your website is speaking to that higher end clientele. So sometimes we have to come back to reality and figure out how we're going to work our way up to those types of projects. Because if all you're showcasing is $10,000 projects and you want to do those you know, mega whale projects that are $250,000 plus, you have a huge disconnect with those customers. That, that type of stuff won't work. As far as ideal customers for landscapers, just based on the general knowledge I have in working with a lot of landscapers. When we think about geographic targeting, there's going to be cities or towns that you target in your area. Within those cities or towns, there's going to be suburbs, there's going to be developments, there's going to be subdivisions that maybe are more affluent or wealthier areas, or they're more established, older homes with established landscapes. We have to think about where our customers live at the same time. So if we're trying to sell $50,000 landscapes, but we're targeting a city where the median income is thirty dollars to $50,000 a year, that's another disconnect. There's just no way that you're going to get the customers that you need from that specific area. So there's a lot more to how we target and attract those ideal customers than just saying, eh, I want to do $100,000 plus projects.
0: It's, it's not that easy. I imagine that's something you find a lot that you have to kind of dig into and really get and make the customer aware of that. Like make sure that the landscapers is aware of that. You have to really think about these things because it's you can't serve everybody.
1: <laughs> you can't. And if you want your messaging to be on point for a particular segment of the market, we need to be saying things that those people know and understand and are attracted to.
0: Going back to the websites, I know you talked about a, a few things that, you know, some landscapers make mistakes on on their website, especially if they're building it themselves. Is there anything else that you can think of that many landscapers make, you know, some common mistakes that are out there?
1: Yeah. So services pages would be the number one. They try and list everything they do under one page. So we've talked about why that's not effective. The other one would be not clearly defining their service area, which boils into what we just talked about. I've seen a lot of landscapers websites, even some of the ones that we're about to review on the 18th, Mm -hmm. that they don't have a service area defined. They don't tell customers where they're based out of what specific cities that they serve or counties. Some businesses are located along a border of two states, so they may service two states. That has challenges of its own, but sometimes they don't even mention it on their site. So a clearly defined service area is super important. You wanna be talking about the specific cities, towns, subdivisions, and neighborhoods that you service. We talk about geographic areas. If you look at how real estate agents market themselves in a particular city or a town, they are doing the same thing. They are targeting neighborhoods. So that's one mistake that I often see landscapers make is they just don't have a clearly defined service area. The other one would be a very poor emphasis on photos of their work. So if you don't have a lot of photos of your work, you got to use stock. There's no other choice. But try to spend some time and use stock photos that you don't see on a lot of other landscaping sites. Because I I see landscaping sites all the time where I see a photo and I'm like, oh yeah, you got that on, on big stock. I know the photo number at this point because I've seen it so <laughs> many times. So not a strong enough emphasis on good quality photos, especially before and after. The other mistake often we've touched on this is just messaging and content. They want to get by with the bare minimum. And sometimes this happens if they've built it themselves. They, just, they don't have the time or the knowledge to create in-depth content. Or if they've hired a developer that just There was an example on the site the other day in the group. Somebody was asking, what are you paying your web developer? What's a good price to pay for a a web developer? Um, I want to make sure this guy's legit. And I asked, and I said, well, how much, what's the quote? And he said, well, it's $250 to create the site and then stop right there. (laughs) For $250, nobody has the time to invest what they truly need to invest to make something that's going to be effective for your business. They just don't. When we talk about building out all these different pages for your services and the messaging that goes on them and the pictures and integrating reviews, we're talking about hours per page, right? And nobody's going to do that for 250 bucks. So hiring the wrong people, saying and doing all the wrong things, there's a lot of mistakes that can be made.
0: I know just from, from our past conversations you had with our people, when you've done the reviews in the past, I should say, you've pointed out like there's been some... I think that you said they were like overseas companies that do just like generic websites, and it's really hurting them as far as getting found online. Is that something else you see people trying to save money?
1: Yeah. So, and this is common. Companies, even if they're charging a higher price, pricing in websites doesn't exactly equate to quality. So, what a lot of companies are doing is they're just offshoring the work. So they'll sell you the site, whatever the cost may be, and then they just get a freelancer overseas somewhere to basically create the site, create the pages, create the content. Nowadays, they're often using AI with very little knowledge of the industry or specific terms or if the content even says anything that's appropriate. So perfect example, a potential client that I talked to last night has a site that's been built by a a somewhat reputable company, looks like a very nice site. When you start to read the content, so his retaining wall page, for example, it talks about you know, the different types of retaining walls, and it talks about a gravity wall, a cantilevered wall, and a, a sheet piling wall. I have never, ever had a customer ask for any type of those retaining walls, right? The content doesn't make any sense. I'm sure they exist, but in the, in the essence of a landscaper, that's just not what customers are looking for. And the person that created that content doesn't have enough industry knowledge to understand that the information they've just put up is inaccurate. So that type of stuff, yes, it definitely 100% hinders your efforts. Yeah. And now with the offshoring stuff, another big one is with Facebook ads. So people are running Facebook ads. They're offering Facebook ads as a service. They'll charge 1000 know $1, $2,000, $3,000 a month for ad management and they're getting a third party to do all of it. They're just a, a salesperson, essentially. So that type of stuff is something you've always got to watch out for. And you can ask, hey, do you offshore this work? Is it you doing the work in-house, or are you offshoring it to somebody else or outsourcing it to some other team? It's a valid question to ask.
0: The one I, that pops in my head at the review you did in the past, they had somebody that was offshore wrote it, and it just didn't even make sense. Like the way they worded things you can tell it was written by somebody overseas or from another, or somewhere else. It just didn't make sense at all. So that is important. And if your customer's reading that and you're trying to sell in high-end work and the customer can't read it, can't understand it, it doesn't say much for you as, as far as a professional landscape.
1: Totally, and that's where big disconnects happen as well. And this is where having the knowledge and expertise in, in, in websites and what is needed, it sets certain developers apart from others. And I see the comments on the Facebook group all the time where, you know, hey, has a website been effective for your business? And someone says, well, I have a website and it doesn't do anything for me. And I, and all these posts, you're left with the assumption that everybody did it correctly and it didn't work for them. But 99% of the time, you go and look at the site that they were using and you're like, man, you know, you're making every single mistake in the book. No wonder it didn't work for you.
0: Yeah. and. I've had some conversation with people talking about doing websites and they're trying to do it themselves. And I, I get it at a certain point, especially when you're first getting started, you don't have the funds to to do all this and to hire, you know, somebody like Carl, but there's things that you can do to like, you just listen to what we have said here in this podcast that you can apply to just a, you know, Wix website builder, Squarespace, it's just to get yourself started. Is that something that you agree with? And then you can hire someone else in the future to upgrade? Um,
1: Yes and no. I just I know how much time, in speaking with a lot of customers, I know how much time they invest trying to do these things themselves. And we're talking like evenings, hours and hours and hours of time that they could be spending doing better things. If you don't have the money to hire a pro, my suggestion would be buy your domain name for your business. You can redirect it to your Google My Business profile or your Facebook page and focus your efforts on those. And what I mean by that is focus your efforts on, one, getting good branding in place. You want good branding. Your logo, you want to have it on your shirts, you want to have it on your trucks, you want to have yard signs, so get that in place. The next thing we want to do is work on our pictures. Get a good, big portfolio of excellent photos of your work, before and after photos of your work, and start gathering some notes on particular projects of note. I understand that not every project is something you want to showcase, but there's some that you are certainly really proud of doing. And you want to have those, not just pictures on your site, but showcase them. The next thing is reviews. Just continue working on reviews and building up that review base on your profiles. What you're doing by doing that is you're building up all of the ingredients that you need to actually build a very effective web presence when the time comes. So I would say that your time is much better spent on those aspects rather than sitting there trying to play with Wix or play with Squarespace or play with GoDaddy and you're wasting copious hours of time, it's not going to get found. It's not going to generate you any more business. So you would have been better off spending all of that time just doing good work, gathering good pictures, getting good reviews, and building up the ingredients that a guy like me needs to do
0: a great job for you. True. And I, I did mention to that person about the time because like you could spend that time going out there to get more customers and just knocking on doors or whatever else versus building the website yourself because I've tried it myself and it, it's a lot of time, especially if you're trying to do like a WordPress site and you have no idea what you're doing. Trust me, it takes a lot of time. yeah I'm not familiar with Wix or Squarespace. I'm not sure the time wise, but I would still imagine there's there's a learning curve there.
1: Totally. And they'd be better off spending that time speaking with you and getting all their numbers in order and learning how to get their estimates in order and making sure that that side of their business is ticking along nicely because then they'd be able to afford the other things that they need, right? But if they spend 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 hours plus building their own website, it's going to be rebuilt anyways. There's small exceptions. There's there's some people that have devoted so much time and effort and learning and they they actually don't just look at it. It's kind of like a hobby for them right? They enjoy doing it. They want to do this kind of thing. Well, sure. If that's you and that describes you, then by all means, learn a new skill and, and spend the time to do it. But if you're trying to run a landscaping business, I don't think you're better served
0: doing it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, would, I would agree with you 100% on that. Well, Carl, is there anything else that you'd like to add that a landscaper should be aware of for the website or something that they critically need to do on your website to, to get started or anything you'd like to add?
1: Um, so we've talked a lot about what goes on to the website. So there's two sides of this when we look at website performance online. You have on-page and you have off-page. So on-page stuff is everything that we do on the site, how the site is structured, how our title tags are, how our H1, H2, H3 tags, the actual content, the actual pictures, site speed. Those are all things that we can do on the site that can help us get found, help refine our messaging, and help the site perform as a marketing piece. Then there's what we can do off-page. Off-page is another facet of search engine optimization, which would be items like your Google My Business profile, a YouTube channel, a Houzz profile, a Facebook profile. If Yelp is big in your area, it might be a Yelp profile, but it's the off-page stuff that has to be done as well, or the website itself won't rank. So Google is looking for those associations outside of your site in order to Understand that you're an authority in any specific area, if that makes sense. So, I see a lot of contractors come to me and say, Hey, I had someone build my website and they said the SEO was baked into the site and everything's good that way. And I do a quick link analysis and I can say, Well, you know, sure, they did a few things here and a few things there, but as far as your off page goes, there's been nothing done. And that's why your site isn't ranking and it's why you don't have any clout locally because Google just doesn't even know you exist. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's something that contractors have to be looking at as well, is they need to find somebody that understands that aspect of it. You can't hire a web developer and then hire an SEO guy after the fact. That doesn't work because those two things are so interrelated to each other. The website has to be built from the ground up with good SEO, and it's not something you come along and sprinkle on like a fairy uh, later.
0: Yeah, that's another thing I always see people talk about in the Facebook groups is, hiring somebody for SEO. And quite frankly, and I may, you have a better insight on this, but it seems like there's a lot of people out there that are just really trying to take your money, in my opinion. Is that something you see as well? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't want to name names and throw companies under the bus, but
1: um, just, yeah, there is. And, and when you're spending, you know, there's guys out there that are selling sites to landscapers for 15 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand. And you have to really look at what are they doing for that kind of money? And are you really getting something that is going to help your business? And I find that a lot of these companies are really, really, really good at marketing themselves and their program. And then when it comes down to the actual client stuff, that's where they're falling short. I'm a firm believer in focusing all my energy on my client sites. That's why my own website, I only update that like once every two or three, I just don't have time. You know, it's every once or two, two or three years, I'll update it because I'm like, oh man, I, you know, I should update this or change that. But then it's all of my time is spent trying to help
0: my customers. I guess to that point too, is how often should a landscaper update their site and and get it reviewed and, and do things to that?
1: Yeah. So we typically change up our designs every two years. So if somebody's on a program with us, that'll include we'll update the site for them. And that could involve changing the look. It could involve changing the content. You know, the over the last year and a half, we've really been focusing on the AI side of things and making that work for our clients. Because let's be honest, I would be at a huge competitive disadvantage and my clients as well, if we weren't utilizing the power of AI, because all of our competitors are doing it. And a lot of client competitors are using it as well, not necessarily correctly. And there's, st- I'm, j- I'm probably doing stuff wrong still, because this is still so new. But it's yes, things are changing all the time. But the core, the core essence of having a website and getting ranked in Google has always been the same. Provide good quality, helpful, relevant content that positions you as an expert in your field. If you can do that consistently, you will keep winning no matter how many updates Google throws at you.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Carl, thank you very much for sharing this valuable information here. You you shared so much here today. How can listeners get hold of you and, and learn how to get their website improved?
1: Yeah. So my own website is www.sitesforcontractors.com, So that's just sites, the number four, contractors.com. They can contact me through there. They are welcome to contact me through Facebook messaging because I'm on the landscaping group pretty frequently. I'm always answering questions related to marketing and web stuff on there. So I get private messages all the time, people asking me questions. So just reach out that way. My phone number is on my website as well. So you can feel free to call me. Uh, I'm happy to speak to anybody about their site.
0: And like Carl said, he is very active in the the Landscape Business Owners Facebook group. He always shares some amazing posts. So like he'll share like very helpful information on there. So definitely look, you know, go in the search tab and, and search for Carl source and you'll find all kinds of great information that can, you know, help your business out and help your landscape business out. So make sure you check that out. All right, Carl, again, thank you very much for spending the time here today sharing this information. And again, thank you very much for, for helping out our landscapers that are inside our Million Dollar Landscaper programs, I, I greatly appreciate that. I know they love it. It's something that we get requested for every year since you started doing it. So thank you very much. Cool. Glad to do it. All right, Carl, thanks for joining us here today and hope you guys have a great day. Talk to you soon. That's a wrap on another exciting episode here of the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. Now, thank you for joining us on this journey and thank you for being a member of our community. Remember our motto do it dirty means just get started and not be afraid of making mistakes. We honestly believe this is one of the keys to the success in this industry and in life. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment, head over to Apple, and leave us a review. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring even more value to the show. Until next time, keep doing it dirty and grow your business to new heights. <sighs>